Hello, welcome back to Free Reeling It, your movie watching podcast with your two friends. I'm one of the friends, Jesse, and with me today is the other friend, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hello. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing good. It's uh it's it's been a pretty okay week so far, and I'm hoping tomorrow doesn't blow up or anything. Like I, a, I I would I would like it to not blow up for you. Like a certain planet we saw blow up today. Yes. Well, did we see the planet blow up or did the We'll, we'll we'll get into that but it's i i'm still i have way more questions about this movie now than i ever have before that's fair and and i think it's because uh it's been a while and a lot of things have come to i mean you know you, okay so we're watching superman the movie from 1978 directed by richard donner uh with one of the most iconic film scores ever from john williams and uh you know it's christopher reeve as superman margot kidder as lois lane gene hackman as lex Luthor, marlon brando as jor-el <laughs> and uh ned Beatty as the lovable idiot otis is is, um, is a stacked it's a stacked cast and um i think i i don't know I, you're more of the comic person than i am jesse but i think that this is the one that sort of made the case for comic books going hollywood in a big way yeah i think so i mean with the the adam west batman tv show i think there i think that show did like did a lot of good for the awareness of these characters but it killed the comics absolutely destroyed the comics where i think superman the movie um and then about 10 years later the Tim Burton Batman really set um, revitalized kind of the line for both these characters. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen this movie as so I've definitely seen this movie before, yes. but I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it since I was like five, maybe. Okay. Um, and so watching it again, I basically was like watching it for the first time and mm-hmm. Boy, howdy, did I not know that this movie was going to be like this. Um, so I, so every time I watch this movie and I've not, I've, I've not seen it a lot. Uh, but the last, I'm pretty sure the last time I watched it was when I was still like in a, uh, in a habit of buying a lot of DVDs. And the, the cool thing about, having a spouse like my my first wife did not grow up in america yeah so i was i was kind of just exposing her to things that i knew and sort of took for granted that other people knew like i think she i think if i remember correctly she knew like who and what superman is but like if if you just if you just showed someone dressed in the blue and red with a big s with the s curl on in the front of the forehead she'd be like oh that's superman um but showing her this movie she was kind of like yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure about this fair because uh as i was watching it with my current wife uh we were both like like i think she was the man this is unbelievably corny and me, I'm like, yeah, but this, there's something awesome about this. Oh, yeah, this there's movie, still, like, there's still just something so cool about the way this movie works. 
this movie rules, but it really only rules because of two people. And that is, um, that is Superman Lois. That is the, the chemistry and the, um, vibrance of Christopher Reeves and Margaret Kidder's like on screen, just like electricity. Whenever those two are on screen together, it's just like, that's the movie. That's all it is. There's, there's sparks, there's magic, there is stuff happening, and none of it is said. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and so that makes it kind of funny that the I don't I didn't I never I didn't remember what Lex Luthor's plot was in this movie. And his plot was to just hijack some rockets and then shoot them. Like yeah. he, he doesn't do much more than that. And then I forgot that I thought for some reason I thought Superman turning back time was in the next movie so then that happening i was like okay good i was the i thought i'm like man i could have swore that was in two yeah but no he does it he does it in this one and and it's all about saving lois someone he's just met really too um it's really interesting because like there's a lot of stuff from the early comics that are in this too that just don't really exist anymore like the idea that he doesn't become superman until you like he leaves home isn't really a thing like there's comics where he was superboy at uh in kansas and stuff like that like he he and he decided to wear the suit earlier and stuff like that and the pod kent dying doesn't happen anymore and there's just all these small things are just super interesting the other thing is like christopher reeves doesn't show up in this movie until about 45 minutes in yeah which is also super surprising to me like i was watching and my dad was like wait Christopher doesn't play the teenage version of Clark Kent. I could have swore he did. No. So it's, no. Uh, that was the one thing I remembered. I'm like, oh, yeah, he doesn't show up for a while. <laughs> and what's funny is like Marlon Brando got paid a bunch of money to be in this movie. And I think Marlon Brando demanded a bunch of money. Yeah, that's the only way he would be in this. I think, would, yeah. I think at the time it might have been three million and that was like a huge deal. Um, and he's good, though. Like he's good. He's good. Like, and He's good. <laughs> If you if you want to talk about you know quality per second acting, oh man, Brando owns this film in a yeah. lot of ways. The, the first like twenty minutes with Brando is like super engaging and super charming, and I think I think the destruction of Krypton is more upsetting in this than it is in the Man of Steel movie, which I've not seen. Yeah, I just I I think like the. Krypton might look might look cooler and might look more developed in Man of Steel, but it's not as devastating watching it explode as it is in this with just the chaos and the panic and the set designs of things falling apart and then the explosion. Mm-hmm. And the All way it's shot. Really well. it's, it's, I mean, the way the way they are haphazardly just throwing layers upon layers of, of film to make it look like everything is falling into itself plus like you look you get like that giant sweeping uh zoom into what is obviously a tabletop model which is krypton yeah like i i love how this film sort of straddles that line between like the special effects of old and where things were headed in a lot of ways like it's not it's not as um forward forward motion progress as like star wars was in 77 but uh but it it is clear that like the even though it's obvious like the ideas still land yeah i i i totally agree with that and speaking of like star wars being in 77 
uh, this comes out in 78 and then Star Trek the motion picture comes out in 79 so you have mm-hmm. these like three iconic pieces of sci-fi coming out back to back to back and they're all on different levels of good if that makes sense oh yeah like I think Star Wars maybe has the weakest story of the three but has the best effects and they still hold up quite amazingly even after mm-hmm. Lucas finagling with them um, but then you have Super Superman, which has some of the most just um, like enriching acting in it, and then you have Trek, which is trying to tell a really thought-provoking story. Right. Well, and then you get in eighty, you get Empire Strikes Back, which is like these are these are banner films, like all in all, almost in a row. It seems like, and yeah, the cinema was kind of changing at this point in time in a lot of ways. My thing is, like, the only thing I, I truly didn't really care for in this movie, and this is going to make me sound like a bad person, but I, I really don't mean that because I think he's great in other things. I didn't like Ned Beatty in this movie. Oh, that's fair. That, that's fair. Like, I think I think the only reason I still like him in this movie is because I liked him when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think it's one of those things where they needed someone really bumbling to make oh, sure. Lex not feel as sinister for some reason, which Lex already kind of didn't feel that sinister to begin with. He's, it, I'm so used to Lex Luthor being like prominently evil, like living in, in the Lex building and like people knowing who he is and they just can't pin a crime on him. Well, mm-hmm. where this Lex is like living underground and in secret because they can definitely pin crimes on him. So he has to stay out of the way. Oh yeah. Um, they can definitely pin crimes on him. And um he's the most outwardly cartoonish yeah one of these villains is and and he's the most outwardly evil like he's not trying to pretend like he's not a bad guy um oh no e- even like the the real argument like of why lex hates superman just really isn't a thing in this like he mentions it oh he's an alien i don't trust him blah 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 but it's more like Oh, he's just in my way, and I want to prove to people that I can take him out. Well, it's it's almost like um, it's al- it's almost like a, a a rise to the challenge sort of thing. Yeah, I can see that. Like he shows up and is being just ultimately good, where whereas you know, Luther is on that, you know that he's that ascendancy to crime of the century. I mean, that brutal much. way he kills the cop at the beginning. Yeah, but but and and that's almost like that that that's that while we the audience see that the rest of the I, I don't think I don't think the cast knows what happened. Yeah. Um but he just he sees this as like, oh, ultimate good, don't trust that. Well let's 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 see how good he is. Because clearly, you know, he's he's here and you know he he's almost he basically almost says you know every achilles has its heel in a way and he just starts to puzzle it out as to how it happened all because you know superman gets an interview with lois lane yeah or gives an interview to lois lane uh and now for up until this watch all of that stuff had blown by me i'm like how does he freaking know yeah kryptonite is like how how do you think yeah there's no like there's no hint that he kind of figured that stuff out and or anything like that it just kind of appears right well well i mean he he actually parses it out in the movie 
in a way that like I had just never noticed before paying attention in a way to that I wanted to talk about it because um as Reba and I were starting it she's like so what's happening right now I go I'll be honest with you I'm not 100% sure uh I do not know why 18 year old Clark Kent needs to go to the North Pole other than because I've seen the movie to build the Fortress of Solitude no I don't know what pulls him there yeah uh i don't know i don't know why he goes there like it's not really explained he just goes he just he just finds a glowing green thing as you do in your earthling parents you know underneath their barn yeah as as you would walk walk to the north pole throw it in some water and all of a sudden fortress of solitude happens and I mean, if you wanted, if if we wanted to be, if we wanted to be assholes and just point out plot hole after plot hole, as if they kind of matter, really. I don't think some some films they do matter. I don't think they matter here. No, I don't think so either. Um, because th- this is the type of, at least not for this Superman. I can see why they would matter for later Supermans because this is like your benchmark. Um. And I've not seen later ones, so I'm not going to pretend to be an authority there. But here, they're just banking on the 40 years of comics history prior to 78. Yeah. And the people who are interested, first and foremost, in seeing this probably have that knowledge or at least a reference point to it. Because 40 years, Superman's one of, at, in 78, one of the more popular comic book heroes yeah i would still think so yeah you could you could probably i mean if anyone's going to correct me on that on this show i know you will and and if i step if i step in it please let me know but there's a certain amount of like cultural osmosis where things just sort of you just learn them through exposure like you know you don't have to have seen empire strikes back to know the luke i am your father yeah you know uh, and all of all of that goes to say is like the first hour and change is is full of holes, but I don't think I don't, I don't think I don't think that that is a disservice to the end product at all here. Yeah, I don't I don't oh, think so. I, I don't I don't think so at all. Um, and I think in the era that it's be this movie was being like made in in seventy eight, like looking at some of the the comics that were made in 78 like this is dc kind of trying to find a balance between the goofiness of the 60s and 70s or the the late 60s early 70s and like the seriousness is now starting to come out like in the 70s you have like the iconic issue of like green lantern green arrow where speedy's doing heroin and stuff like like they like they're really pushing the boundaries and they're really trying to rip that comics code label off their issue if they can and trying to get away with that so what's interesting is this movie's coming out and in the comic sphere at least this movie's coming out right at the tip of dc starting to take itself seriously which which i think is really you say take itself seriously like what what does that look like? So like um on on the issue for Superman that came out the the month this came out, right? Like it's him trying to convince Lana Lang that he's Clark Kent so he can like 
saver or something bond the same issue of action comics he's like has red eyes he goes if my eyes if i don't control this i'm going to destroy metropolis like it's not like they're not like and in this issue superman gets stuck in cotton candy like like that used to be like in the 60s that's the kind of stories they're telling or in this like the cover of batman showing uh, the assassin the tarantula taking a shot at batman like you're not usually getting that on the covers anymore batman's not in um short-eared eyebrows painted on the cowl costume he's in the dark uh gray and blue with long mm-hmm. ears his, his he looks like uh Cary Grant now like he's he's like he, he's taking it seriously right um there's a, there's a gritty there's a, they're it, starting maybe? to become a, a more of an edge to things like okay. I don't know I don't know exactly when but this is around the time that they reintroduced the Joker again and this time he's actually a serial killer like they've actually made him a villain instead of a guy that plays pranks like stuff right. like that okay so so i do th- i find it interesting that, like this is the era that this movie is coming out in is like let's what if we treat this like really like it's real like let's treat it like it's real for once mm-hmm. and i think that's what this now, movie really is going this, for so uh, is is this probably the beginning or, or or was this always a thing where uh dc superheroes were sort of grounded in some some form of reality um not really that was more of a a marvel thing when stan lee kind of took over um and i want to say like when when did fantastic four first come out because that's when stan lee kind of started taking over over there so they de- debuted in 61 so yeah for like at the at, at this moment marvel is kind of eating their lunch for a good chunk of this time because stan lee's over there with jack kirby and ditko and all these others saying already doing this so that's why like they're in new york and that's why they're in like um real cities because stanley's like no these are real people we have to pretend like they're real we have to pretend like they have a family dynamic that they fight we have to pretend that peter parker is always down on his luck because that's what happens to teenagers okay like the x-men have to be freaks because that's the only way we can have a movement like he's doing all that for a decade at this point or, okay. or or almost two at this point and in mm-hmm. dc for the most part's being like and this is true batman and robin get stuck in mud <laughs> like oh really yeah like they, they were they it's were literally the batman the batmobile catch caught a flat like that's really what yeah it is. i mean like that's that's the issue with the adam west show as much as i like it is it really almost killed they almost canceled the Batman book because it was selling so poorly because they were trying to mimic the show and the show wasn't serious the show was just goofy prime time yeah um so for the longest time and like it it's also the era of space in the 60s so you have a lot of issues of batman going to like a planet zeon or something and he's fighting aliens and in this issue robin gets captured wait 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 wait. batman went to planet zeon that's just i make it like that's what that's basically what every cover was was like they put like a random word generator it's like this is our plot for the issue and Again, it's not until probably early, early to mid seventies that you have a lot of the counterculture becoming writing age, basically, and being mm-hmm. like, "We want to write comics," and so that's when you get like the silver age of these characters. So yeah, so I think I think it's super interesting that this is just this is the this is the decade that this movie decides to come out. This is the decade that. Um, comics become or at least both both sides of the comics become more like hey we need to talk about what's going on right like like i mean yeah. it's a big deal at um what issue is that green let me look something up no problem 
Um, so that issue came out. Uh, so the so issue of 85-86 of Green Lantern came out in 71. So really early in the in the decade. That's the issue where uh at at this time the comics code is very strict saying like you can't show violence you can't show death you can't show people getting murdered um mm-hmm. you can't show drug abuse like you can't do this and on the cover is green arrow seeing his ward speedy doing heroin and they show it and that comics code label still on there and they're basically saying like no we'll we'll talk about issues now like that's what we're going to do and that's because you have someone like Denny O'Neill coming in who's a journalist who's been writing about this stuff as a journalist for years now and he's now writing comics he's like why can't we talk about this stuff which is which is the correct question yeah and like there's a famous comic that comes later is green lantern stop again this is a lot of this era because this is where that kind of movement started is in these comics but he's talking to a black man he goes He's like, I've known, I've seen you guys, I've seen you superheroes help orange people with orange skin, purple skin, everything. But what, what have you ever helped at us? The black skin, like, what, what, what about us? And uh-huh. the, it, the cover just shows green, green lantern going like, I can't answer that because I don't know. I haven't done anything. Yeah. And so like, it, it's interesting because like, that's the era that this movie's being developed in and then made and shot. And I think when it comes down to, I mean, Lex Luthor in the first scene we see him and he they're like so what's your plot he's like land development because real estate <laughs> which which if we're being honest like that is kind of, he's right like that's kind of the most evil thing is is like he can do whatever he wants with that then mm-hmm. and people will need it mm-hmm. and it's kind of I, I think it's brilliant and i think they meant it to be brilliant of like how truly evil but also like realistically evil he is in that sense. Yeah, eventually he, he steals bombs from a really stupid ploy, but oh God, the, that <laughs> yeah, those those two scenes are hilarious. It's yeah, like yeah. the ineptitude of the authorities in charge in those scenes. <laughs> like they're like, you gotta turn around. And he's like, Wow, hell of a day, isn't it? <laughs> she needs she needs mouth to mouth and chest presses i don't i i wouldn't oh, do a vigorous chest massage and some and um mouth to mouth yeah that's it and, and, and then he goes i wouldn't do anything that I wouldn't ask my soldiers to do so i'll do it for you guys and they all start fighting Aww. it's it's awful but in like in that somehow charming 70s way um yeah it, it's yeah it's one of those things it's just kind of interesting that that because that, at some point you have to have the super man moments right you have to do oh, it sure but i think the introduction of superman um is the best part of it because it's still superman in a really real situation of a helicopter crashing and he's saving people mm-hmm. um it's the when the zanies kicks in at the end where this movie really like loses i think itself and i yeah. think that's what makes superman 2 a very interesting sequel because i think the 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 enemy of zod and his crew um it, it's just way more serious right like Terrence Stamp brings a way more non-jokey like levity to the villain role where Gene Hackman's really just kind of like Gene Hackman's read the comics and he's like, oh no, I know, I know I'm supposed to be goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I think it probably this this movie probably reads so differently to somebody who was born after and read the books that came out after yeah than to someone like me who was 
a kid when this was like hitting TV or you could rent it, you know, in the 80s. And and for all intents and purposes, like this is kind of like the Superman that I know. Yeah. I, I think I think that goes back to one of the most interesting things is this movie and Superman 2 were made as the idea that they were one movie. Oh god, that would have been that would have been horrifying. Oh, I mean, like it was still like filmed as two movies, but Richard sure. Donner was going into it, like these two movies are the story. Like yeah. it, it wasn't the idea of this was like this. This is basically part one of a two part story, and then Superman two was going to be part two, but he didn't get to do it the way he wanted to when it first came out. Um, right, and I think though, if you think about it that way, it does make for a very interesting like. Superman doesn't really know what true evil is yet <laughs> when he's dealing with Lex and then he deals with Zod, right? Yeah. He had a he he has a he has a multi-billionaire that was just able to sort of parse his way into a weakness, but then Zod and company show back up and are like, Yeah, we're the real deal. We're not worried about your powers. Because we come from Krypton as well, and we have them. Yeah. I, that's that's one of the things that became kind of silly at the beginning is how much they knew about earth yeah that was um that, that's interesting well yeah that's like i think they they make some choices with this vast library of knowledge they're giving superman because from the 28 known galaxies like why'd you stop at 28 well not just that like i like first off Jarl's like warning people or no you're not even warning people he was talking about the crimes that Zod did. He goes, crimes to mankind. I'm like, would you guys call yourselves mankind? Yeah. Like, would you? And then uh, that's just kind of the idea of like, you know, no writers thinking about it that hard. Um, when they're Not at that movies. time. No. no. Yeah. Uh, but then like when they, they when they shoot uh, Superman off into space, they're like, now Einstein's really important to us and it's important to Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then not just that, he's like, and we, like I understand the idea that you would know somewhat of the effects of Earth to you as a Kryptonian if you're studying like their gravity and stuff. We know that because we know that when we study other planets, what the effects of those planets would do to us. But to yeah. be like, and you're gonna get like you're gonna have the laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's like giving him his whole superpowers. Like you're gonna have all of that. <laughs> he's like, you don't know that for sure. There's no way you know that for sure. Um, right. Well, um, well, that brings up a that brings up an interesting question just because I don't know this answer. And Reba asked me, Kryptonite is from Krypton. Yes. Why does that hurt? So a Kryptonian. I don't know if this is still the reason, but from no growing up and everything that I understand is when Krypton exploded, um, it irradiated that stuff too. So not only is usually it's supposed to take his powers away but now it's radioactive but specifically to kryptonians mm-hmm. so not only is it making him weaker but it's making him sick now because of the exposure like the 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 core of the planet exploding irradiated all the debris is what the, so, the original idea of it is i don't know if that's still so the that's, case so that's like you or i just being just having a big chunk of like uranium 235 just yeah. wrapped around our neck yeah okay. and then and then also like it since it's part of the place that we came from it like sucks away the energy that we had before from this special sun it, kryptonite's always yeah. been kind of one of those funky things because different colors of kryptonite do different things um 
Well, I didn't I, realize there were multiple colors. That's probably too yeah. much for this episode. Though. I mean, like, but like real briefly, like the idea of green kryptonite's just that basic, like make him weak, make him sick. But then you have the idea of red kryptonite, which comes up more than the other ones, which is for 24 hours, it will do something different. There's like one issue where it makes Superman's skin translucent, so he can't even go into the sun because it hurts. Um, so oh, stuff, wow. it's just weird stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, the idea of Superman, and we'll get we'll get off comic books, um, but the idea of no, Superman is interesting in itself because when it comes to power sets, Superman couldn't fly for like the first dozen issues. He leaped tall buildings. That was like the like if you were like remember the sayings like faster than a locomotive, uh tougher than yeah, you can like, can leap tall buildings, buildings in, in a single, single bound. bound. That's because he couldn't fly. He was he wasn't able to fly yet. Flying came later. So it's like that kind of stuff. Superman has very interesting power sets that come up from time to time. Um I, like and that's why it's so funny when people make fun of I think it's in Superman too, where he grabs the S off his chest and it becomes like a cage. Mm-hmm. Like a plastic cage, people are like that's that's silly. Superman could do that. Superman used to be able to shrink himself. Like it's just it's just old comics. <laughs> yeah, um, I still it's like it. Paul's boutique of old comics references. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it when they uh they still let Superman have a little bit of telekinetic powers, like he has TK powers every once in a while. He can't read minds, but he can like do a couple of mind thrusts to like blow like blow people away and stuff like that. So, um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think it's very interesting. Um, yeah. Something that shocked me, and it's this is a real quick aside. So when Superman shows up on Earth, well, not only do they quickly age him, so he's not even a baby anymore; he's a toddler. I think this, I don't even know if to, I don't even know if he's a toddler at that point. He's a he he's looks a, like he's four. He's he, he looks like he, he looks like he's a six year. He looks like he's a kindergartner. What's upsetting though is I th- and I think you can pr- prove me wrong if you've seen one, but this is the only American movie I've ever seen that had full child nudity in it. And I was like, and Superman? Yeah, that was <laughs> it really I don't me know why guard. I don't like I don't know why but when he showed up, but like both both Reba and I are like, oh, that's a penis. <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> I'm like, I guess Dragon Ball and Superman have more in common than I thought. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's, just, it's just these main characters are running around without clothes on. I mean, yeah. It, it just, and, these two and the baby from the Nevermind album cover. Like, yeah, it's just it was very jarring for me to watch an American film and have just naked children. Like I'm used to it in in foreign films, but it just never crossed my mind that it might happen in an American one. Yeah, um, I I I never really noticed it till till now. Um. Another thing I want to talk about real quick is the running gag of Lex Luthor without having hair. They don't show him without hair until the very end, but no. you know he doesn't have hair because they keep on changing his wigs. They they keep changing his wig, and then there's that moment where Ned Beatty is like, "Oh, got to put his wig back on." What looks like a Donald Trump bust of all people? Uh, yeah, like, it could have been <laughs> too early like, for Trump. Then I no, I mean. No, Maybe, but no. I want to. I want to say no, but like, why do we have a Donald Trump bust? And I, I'm not. I don't think that's actually who it was. But I'm like, man, that looks like Donald fucking Trump. Um, um the the scene where Lois gets purse snatched and he catches the bullet. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. that's just brilliant. That's brilliant scene work right oh, yeah. there. That's um, great editing work and like film speed work and yeah, that's that's that's. A, very good 
uh, the, uh, the, the even the opening scene where he goes into the Daily Planet for the first time. <laughs> I like that they like usually Perry White's pretty mean to the, the Clark, but he's like Clark, he's here to give us some good journalism. And then he goes, "Hey Perry, can you send like half of my check to this address?" <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "What are you sending it to your dear old gray haired bookie?" To, no, he says to your book. It's to your bookie, right? Oh wait, no, don't tell me he sends it to his his, his gray haired mother. He's like, "No, she's silver haired actually." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very good. Let's talk about let's talk about high school Clark Kent and the scene where he's running faster than a train, which has the original Lois Lane on that train. My dad kept wanting to point out to me um, the one from the the TV show. But I, I like that no one else, just no one else but that child could see him. Yeah, and and it looks like some of the, uh, I mean, I and I don't say this as in I don't say this to to say that this movie is bad because of it. But man, the effects are just right there for you to for you to take notes on. Yeah, like that that kid is he's he's fake. I don't know how he's do. I don't know how they have this set up. They must have wires on him or something where he is he's not actually running, and those are not strides a human teenager would make. He looks like he's riding a green screen unicycle for God's sake, and it's it made me giggle. I I I I enjoyed most of young Clark stuff, but I, like by the time we were getting close to that forty minute mark, I'm like, okay, we gotta we gotta move. Oh man, we either need some good Brando or this needs to turn into Superman real quick. Because yeah, I didn't, I never realized how long this movie is. Yeah, it's two two and a half hours. Yeah, and it's a movie that easily could have been uh, two hours, maybe an hour forty five. Like, oh there, sure. There's a lot of space think, where it doesn't need thing. What's funny is like the main plot doesn't need to happen. <laughs> oh yeah, the the plot is is almost completely erased at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's kind of just kind of for them to do some really neat special effects tricks with miniatures and a large mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Reeves and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, it's a uh, it's very wasted in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I I still think that when the tension is at its highest it's still it still works but uh it there could have been less I mean, of it it's upsetting when lois is technically dead at the end of that movie mm-hmm. yeah um but but then it's just it's just completely wiped away from him going back in time yeah and 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 let me tell you watching that you know after, as someone who works in a career that's predominantly based in physics uh Seeing that is just like man, that they, they people really thought this is how it works, huh? <laughs> You're telling me it's not how it works. You can't just spin the Earth backwards. Like it, you can't spin the Earth backwards and it ro- rotates every planet backwards. But see, I feel I also I also feel like as a kid that made when I when I saw it, no one had to explain it to me. Yeah. So so like there 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 is some brilliance there. Like you you see what's happening. You're like, oh wait a minute, the planet is going backwards, and now everything else is moving backwards. Oh, that must be how it works. But you, you know, I think that logic leap as a kid is way easier than than when you're an adult but also like think about things that have come out that have referenced other pop culture things that have referenced um that moment 
as well. I mean, I'm pretty sure that moment was in the comics, right? Yeah. So, and, and like, I'm pretty sure there are more than five episodes of Seinfeld that reference it. Yeah. So, and I know that there are plenty of other things, you know, that have referenced Superman spinning the world the other way. And I think as an idea, it's a, it's a novel idea, but also it's just like, that's the, the things that he erases and the way that it just selectively avoids so much at the same time, like, oh, he spun everything back so Lois could live and, and the, towns wouldn't be destroyed but what happened to the missiles yeah it's saying like yeah, those missiles just don't reshoot like he doesn't yeah go they, back they, and they just never they just never launched like <laughs> it's, uh. it's it's and none of and i i will reiterate none of that detracts from just how much how much overall fun i had watching this movie again i don't i don't it's one of those movies where like there's a lot of fun in it but there's it's not like a, it's not like a, like a movie I'm gonna go back to and like watch all the time. But it, as like as you said, like Reeve was like, this is corny. But you're like, yeah, but it's the good kind of corn. Yeah, this is this is the kind of corny that I can get down with. Like, this, all the it's time. it's the perfect idea of a popcorn movie. Like, there's no real substance, but when when it's working, you're charmed and you're in it. Oh yeah, I mean um, like, and and just you know, given some things that I've been through in the past year, like seeing seeing papa kent die man that hit me in some ways and as a person whose parents are are divorced and their mother's second husband adopted him and his sister like i so much identify with trying to find out who you are and what you are and where you come from things like that all of that just still kind of forced a wave of emotions over me yeah watching this and even reba's like you okay i'm like really <laughs> it's been, this is this is hitting me in ways that i did not expect it to but yeah but uh and and that's also like why active movie watching is a good thing <laughs> like yeah i agree um, um any other thoughts before we kind of move on to what we've been watching so i i think this might be one of the greatest opening credit sequences in the history of film yeah, I think it's a very good opening credit sequence. I think it's I think it's more iconic than Star Wars to me. I don't know if it's more iconic than Star Wars, but you can tell that more things took inspiration. I mean, Joel Schumacher just completely ripped this off for um, his Batman movies. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm in and like the. I think the only thing Star Wars has on it is that it's just been done more. Like that's really it. That's fair. Um, uh, I think I think John Williams' music is better here personally uh because the one time i actually did see this in the theater uh it was it kind of felt like i was on a roller coaster and that was that was a a really cool thing um i i do find it funny that the man who wrote the book the godfather played a big part in the screenplay and the story here. <laughs> you know, what's really in- what's interesting though is that the guy who plays the big henchman, Zod's henchman, Jack O'Halloran, he he wrote a book 
that's basically like my dad was basically the inspiration for the god or, or my uncle or something the inspiration for the godfather and he comes from a big mafia family and he talks about real mafia stories in relation to the godfather so i i found that also super interesting yeah that's and then you know Mark, the godfather connections don't stop because because marlon brando's in it true yeah um so yeah, maybe what, that what, was what, the maybe that was the get that would be said well mario puzo's right if maybe we get him to talk to brando things can happen yeah his family was connected to the gambino crime family okay his dad was the formal former boss at some point yeah and then i find it i find it interesting that or maybe i just don't know about this discourse but like everyone will debate on who's the better batman I don't think there's any real question as to who the better Superman is. No, I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of good that Ca- uh, Henry Cavill does, mm-hmm. but Greaves is just, he's, he's the blueprint. Well, I also think that like, in terms of what, it, just looking at what Superman is, there's a certain aloofness and, and detachment that is, present in reeves performance yeah where even when he's in a very human situation like trying to ask lois lane on a date there's like everyone around everyone around him is so distracted with their own big city life that they don't notice just how just how much of a train wreck this person trying to fit in on earth is and i and i think that, that carries through in a way that I mean, it carries through in a way that I don't think many others could. And yeah. I also, I, you know, reiterating again, haven't seen the new ones maybe one day. I will say watching this this time made me more interested in re-watching, you know, the Reeves quadrilogy and then trying to see uh, the other ones as well. I don't know if I'll get there, but who knows yeah i think i think it'd be at least interesting for me to go watch superman 2 i don't think i've seen three or four ever so i'm I'm curious three and four are actually the two that i've seen the most in this series and i think that's mostly because i watched them when i was a child that's fair i don't remember who plays the main villain in four but i want to say i think it's dolph lundgren or it's a someone who looks it's very similar much to like, dolph lundgren it's the yeah. it's the, the atomic man but it's something like that yeah it's the guy from the sun or whatever yeah like that's that's it's the sun man but but yeah it's nuclear man <laughs> yeah that's it played by mark Nukem, <laughs> who was in three things only. wait what his name, his name is Mark Pillow, and he was in only three things ever. Really? What were the this, other two? He was in Superman, Quest for Peace in 1987. He was in one episode of Wise Guy in 1988. And then he was in uh, 13 episodes of Alaska Kid in 1993. Wise Guy, a show starring Jonathan Banks um, and... Uh, Kevin Spacey and Ken Wall, like mm, interesting. It, yeah, that's. Mm. Um, I like I like this movie a lot. Despite, yeah, it's good. You know, I think it's a lot. Of any fun. sort of any sort of real criticism I could level at it, I still enjoy it. Uh, I think this is it's 
where um, the 70s created the idea of the summer blockbuster. Like this is this is summer blockbuster in that 100% style over substance sort of way. Yeah. Like you could you could talk about Jaws and Star Wars and um, in ways where they, you know, you pick them apart. Like they had they had references that were better than what they actually are or or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that, but like you can you can you can make like big sweeping PhD thesis statements about them. Uh, Superman the movie does not really have any of that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. So Jesse. Yes, Matthew. What you been watching? Um, did we talk about Titanic last episode? I don't remember. No. I saw Titanic for the first time. Really? I did not. How'd that, how'd that go over? Well, it went over at three hours and 15 minutes. Um, All right. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I thought it was pretty spectacular. I think, um, I don't know how you make a movie like that the way you did it ever again because special effects are just so much better now in general so you can get away with so much more. But yeah. also just ridiculous that he made a boat and blew it up. <laughs> yep. You want, a, you, want a, you want another weird boat movie. We should watch Werner Herzog's Fitzcarraldo. Okay. I haven't watched a Herzog movie I think at all, so. Pull a boat over a mountain, son. <laughs> like that's some um, audacious shit in that movie. I also watched Doctor Strangelove. Oh, nice. That movie is pretty good. It's kind of upsetting how it's still relevant. And I hate keep on talking about old movies that came out decades before I was born and they're still relevant to decades later after oh, yeah. I was born. Oh yeah. Well, see the interesting thing about the interesting thing about that movie is um it's ba- I don't remember what it's there's a book it's based on. I don't remember if it's and then another movie came out around the same time directed by the great Sidney Lament called Failsafe. Oh. And they're basically the same movie. Basically. But like Sidney Lamette's is like thriller. It is tension. Whereas this is like, man, the people in charge of all this shit are kind of morons, huh? I mean, they have, that is the case of Dr. Strangelove also. And and both are both are very good in very different ways, but they're ironically the same thing. <laughs> it's it's kind of an it's it's very interesting how that has only one of them though has uh, a very early James Earl Jones appearance. Yes, but still sounding full Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, I also went to the theaters and saw Barbarian. And if you like weird horror movies, uh, do yourself a favor and go see Barbarian. What is Barbarian? I, it's hard. It's one of those movies where like the trailer doesn't show anything, and okay. you, you you when you watch the trailer, like oh that trailer just told me the whole movie, but it doesn't which is really surprising okay so is it probably better that you just say hey matt watch barbarian and just go in cold yeah i think that's for anybody like if you want to like get like a vibe watch the trailer because the trailer kind of gives a vibe but it won't it won't it won't you won't know where that movie's going okay um the basic premise like this is like literally like the first 10 minutes lady goes to an airbnb late at night um someone else is already staying there it's weird shenanigans happen after that interesting 
but okay. it's not a serial killer movie. Well, I guess never mind. Maybe it is. Um, what the most fascinating thing is this movie is creepy. It has brilliant camera design for like not jump scare, but like building tension. Um, and then like cutting away from that tension and releasing it right away, like has really good work on that. The score is fan- really great. Uh, there's some parts of the script that I could have used a bit more because the movie's only like an hour and a half. But um, you know who it's who was written and directed by? Who? Do you ever see that Wise Kids You Know uh, skit with Abraham Lincoln? If you watched any Wise Kids You Know. Oh, okay. No, I I have not. Well, it's one of the main guys behind that sketch comedy group, Wise Kids You Know, from like early 2000 mid 2000s and it's just it's always funny when it's like a super funny person makes one of the most upsetting horror movies isn't that kind of what jordan peele did i mean that's really what i mean i think horror and comedy are so such similar genres because they're taking reality and distorting it and and you have to be super talented to make it work Um, so i think that's why there's a lot of comedians that go into horror because it's they're just very similar and that, mm-hmm. the kind of the kind of tenacity it takes to make it work. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll I'll look into Barbarian. Yeah. Uh, if Reba doesn't like Gore, don't take Reba. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that's going to be a, a Matt watching that so well. Uh, I saw also watch Prey, which on which is on Hulu. Yes, that's fun. That's, that's, the, the, that's, really that's fun. the Predator prequel, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard that's kind of better than it has any right. Is it one of those? It, is, is it actually just a good movie, or is it? Yeah, it's just, it's it just actually just right a, it's just a good movie. Okay, uh, it's better than Predator, only on the sense that it was it's made now. Right. Yeah. Like um, the, they have to take that a little. They have to take it a little more seriously now. Then. Yeah. Like there, there's no there's no real humor in it like there is in the original Predator, but there's also none of the just gross stuff that there is in Predator. Sure. Um. But I think both the protagonists of Prey and Arnold and Predator are very similar, and it's very, very interesting to watch that happen. Okay. Oh, that's um, cool. But yeah, that's all I really got. That's all I really got through in the last two weeks. Okay. Well, I got on my bullshit a little bit, and I watched the prologue for Mobile Suit Gundam: The Witch from Mercury, which is which is coming out in October. I think it's in October. I don't know if that's in Japan or worldwide. But we're getting close to a new Gundam series, so naturally, Matt's going to be involved. And this half-hour prologue goes real fucking hard. Nice. Um, lots of... Uh, it's. I don't know. I feel like my dad passing at the end of 2021 yeah. has hit it. Media I interact with is finding all sorts of ways not to remind me of that but it just just to just to it brings those feelings forward that happens here and it happened with with superman it's happened a couple of films we've watched recently and i'm very thankful when it happens because then it kind of forces me to process a little bit more because i still don't really know if I'll ever fully process it, I don't know how to fully process it because I've never had a parent die before. Yeah. Um, but it's happening in ways that make me think about it. Like the, the media I interact with have, has been, have been showing me that in ways that make me think about it differently almost every time. And uh, 
yes, all, it all, it always sort of adds up to, you know, I still kind of wish he was here and it sucks that he's gone. Yeah. Uh, but also I have plenty of other thoughts that I'm not going to go into here. But uh, the, the prologue did that in a very good way that made me very, very happy. And also the, the, I think the, I think the new, at least I think it's the new Gundam. Um, the Elfrith is very fucking cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like Gundam and you'll, you'll probably be hearing me talking about it a lot once that series starts. Um, I also watched Belfast with Reba the other day. I didn't get to that still. Um, so I know I've seen a lot of Branagh movies, but I think I've only seen the ones where he's out and out, like recreating Shakespeare. Yeah. Either like literally with like um, Henry V or, you know, trying to package it in a different way. Like there's like the one Thor. I don't. Wait, he directed Thor? He directed at least the first Thor, yeah. Oh, I, I did not know that. <laughs> that. That's interesting. I might have to watch the first tour now. Uh, but this is the first film that I I was basically sitting there the entire time going, man, fucking Branagh's a good director. Um, it's predominantly black and white. Uh, there are splashes of color that are used uh, in... I, I think they're used in wonderful ways. I think any, uh, I think any, I, I'll say this with tongue firmly placed in cheek, any serious film watcher will be like, oh, I see what they're doing here. But I also, I, I also think that there's, there's a reason to do that. I don't think it's overdone when they use color, but it's, it's always used for the same reason every time. And I'm not really going to go into it here, just because I think, uh, I think that I think that if you want to understand that more, you kind of have to watch it. Yeah. Um, like I don't under I do not have any real understanding of what was going on in Northern Ireland in the late '60s and early '70s, and I'm not even going to pretend to know. Because yeah. I wasn't, I, all I know is it's predominantly sectarian. At least that's my understanding. It's predominantly Catholics against Protestants. One, one sect trying to exist, trying to coexist with the other. And the other really not interested in having it. Um, at least that's the, that's, that's my very tacit understanding. And, you know, there are plenty of places folks could go and get a better understanding that are not me um but belfast sort of is a is a family trying to find their way in the midst of all that um the two the two leads which are well the lead is actually the boy but uh i'm going to find his parents real quick uh i believe it is the the mom is Catriona Belfry or Balfi. Okay. And the dad is Jamie Dornan. And these two have absolutely electrifying chemistry. 
and what I found is when they are really in love with each other, like no one needs to say it. Like they don't need to talk about it. You just you just see it. Um, and when they're trying to just be a couple and work through tough decisions together and uh, work with their kids, like they don't really, you don't really have to see all of that discussion happening. It's, or you don't, they don't have to say that discussion. You just see it. Yeah. Um, the Jude Hill as Buddy is a wonderful performance. Uh, Dame Judy Dench as Granny kind of rocks. And uh, Siren Hines as the grandfather, also a good performance. This is, it's a, it's a very solid movie and I, I highly recommend it. I think it was, yeah, it's only 97 minutes. So it's not, it's not super long. It's not exactly light watching. It's probably getting back into free reeling it prior to this episode, but the heavy heaviness of free reeling the, it, the, the, the heavy reel, the heavy free reeling it uh, prior to this episode, uh, but still a, a very nice, it, it's a very nice film. And, and it, opened my eyes about Branagh in a way that I've not really ever thought of him as. Yeah. It's, it's just not Shakespeare. So, uh, yeah, I dug it. That's all for me. So our next episode, we might be starting our Halloween episodes. We might not be. We're not sure yet, but we'll know by the time this episode gets posted because we will have recorded. Um, yes. So, Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at infinite underscore rewind everywhere i'd like to be uh you can also find me uh hosting a couple of other podcasts story route zero is on hiatus at the moment um uh, i will i will probably pipe up when that's back but uh for right now i want i want myself and my other three co-hosts to sort of get the rest that we need and and move forward in our personal lives in the way that we need to and then we'll we'll come back to video games at some point um but you can also find me and jesse's mutual friend caroline talking about music on trivial merit uh the goal there is to create eight song playlists uh of songs from a single artist or a single style of music to get us and hopefully you from a negative mood to a positive one uh and we usually have goofy discussions along the way i i really enjoyed the the green day episode just because like i had a i had a a green day phase and then i woke up one morning going like i don't like green day anymore (laughs) it was very much (laughs) the the matthew feel in some of that episode yeah, I, well, when I was start, I started listening to it, and I got through. I was like, I was really excited. I got through the first three albums before the, before my job the next day, and I was like, man, this kind of sucks. <laughs> and and you know, I I I did eventually come around on some of it, not a lot of it, but uh, but yeah, I think the Green Day episode was one of our better ones. Um, the next one that will be released is Open Mike Eagle, and I think that was a fun. good one as well. What are we gonna uh, do now? Nah. Doom episode. So yeah, I have been thinking about bringing bringing the Doom. But see, the problem is with MF Doom. The problem with MF Doom is all of the pseudonyms. Fair. Um, and also all of the instrumentals. Fair. Because uh, 
Doom is, Doom was a, a wonderful beat maker. And um, and his special herbs collection is on uh, a steady rotation in my streaming devices because uh, it's a good way to get through the day. And some of some of it's really complicated, but sometimes all you need to do is take a single yacht rock hook from the seventies and loop it, and it's fine. His song Mandrake is basically the opening to What a Fool Believes. His song, I think it's called Black Snake Root, is just the opening from Boz Skaggs' Lowdown. And it's fine. It is a vibe. It is a good time. Check out the special herbs. They're they're worth your time. And that's been this MF Doom Minute. Maybe one day. um, And if, if we if we i'm still i'm still like i'm still like hoping uh we do i'm i'm holding on to the mountain goats for if we ever get you on jesse that's fair so because i know you're a big fan and i would love a big fan's take on the mountain goats i i am ready to talk about the goats that live in the mountain (laughs) jesse Um, where can we find you People find me everywhere at Sleeper of the Bed. Um, why Comics starts recording again soon. We were going to start earlier this week, but things got to get rescheduled. But it's coming back. It's coming back. We're coming back. Uh, might be just one season. Might be more than one season. But we're testing this out. Um, but yeah, I'm working on other stuff. You can find all that stuff just at my main Twitter, Sleeper of the Bed, and everywhere else. Um, you can find this show on Twitter at Free Reeling It. Uh, you can email us at freerillinga at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, Matthew, who does your theme song? My buddy Jason. He goes by the name Deadeye on Spotify. That's D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. He was also, uh, that his newest album, um, Bloodshed Kingdom, is available there, as well as Bandcamp and all other streaming services. He was also part of a instrumental reggae duo called the Hope Street Steppers that released one of my favorite albums ever in 2013. Uh, He has incredible talent for music. He's very good at it. And I'm not saying that because he's one of my best friends. I'm saying that because I actually believe it. So uh, check him out. Uh, You can find him at Deadeye Productions on Instagram. That's all one word, all lowercase there. Remember, everybody, you will believe even a man can throw a football into space. <laughs> <laughs>